So, Dr. Coons, on the last episode, you pointed out that one of the one of the chief lies of modern indoctrination of the youth through uh, concentration camp exposure and mandatory you know, time is the idea that what goes on there that they need so much of is socialization. And then tied to that, but not the same word, I think, certainly not the way the word is used by, I would say, the liberal left as their reason for education and its worship. There is this idea of, you mentioned like humans being oriented around activity so that it's, it's what we do together that matters. And you even at one point tied this to uh, the grown man who is more concerned with cooperating and graduating than with actually being anything, right? He is the herd. He is the company man. However you want to say it, he has no mind. Um, But he does have a herd, and it is the the promise of the herd that I see arising in my children. So my children, we talked about our past on the last episode. Mm -hmm. We're homeschooling right now, and uh, I have children of varying ages, and the thing they're most wanting is friends. Now, they have friends. They have friends and uh, they see their friends and they, but, but what they mean is this sort of like, again, group thing that they see from the outside when they look at the, the school kids as, mm-hmm. as a click effectively. And they think that is having friends and that what they're doing, which they have all manner of friends, they're just not all their exact same age and they don't all play all the time. Well, they, they, my kids play quite a bit. So, so like, their perspective on this is somehow yeah. already buying into the lie that there is a public gathering they need in life in order to be happy. And they're not talking about the church and they're not talking about their home. They're yeah. Some other thing. Yeah. R- right. Which I'm okay with some other thing. I think some other thing is actually completely necessary. I think the the problem is that friendship in school, except in certain generally unsupervised circumstances is not actually friendship. So the stuff that you really enjoy about your friends growing up are not things that are authorized generally, unless you are just, you know, and this is fine. If you are, you're probably not a frequent listener if this is the case, but if psychologically you just love group activities, you could do them all day, every day. That's totally fine. If you're not like that, if it's not 24 seven group activities scheduled by others, you have to show up and do what you're told to do and everything. That's not your idea of like a life. Then the stuff that you probably enjoy about friendship is not the stuff that you were like authorized to think about or do. So if, if friendship were constituted by school, then we would all love doing group work, but in school, we don't love doing group work because it's not elective you know, I don't get to pick. I don't, I almost never get to pick to just work with my friends. And then if I do work with my friends, I have to work with a bunch of other people I don't really like or even know, depending on the size let's, of the let's school. Break that class. Down. So, so you have to learn to not work with your friends and they say it's good for you. But what really is good for you is you're learning to obey me when I tell you to do it no matter Correct. what. And you'll believe it'll all work yeah. out later. And over time, that one, man, that's the poison pill. And you're learning that friendship is, even when you're with the friends that you actually choose to be with, that friendship is constituted by being together with people at the times that you are allowed to be with them. And then you'll have topics of conversation that you're going to have in common, like, you know, is this pizza really pizza? Or what did our math teacher mean by what he did or said? 
that are also similarly dictated. And then when you're not talking about school stuff, you're talking about common media consumption stuff that's marketed to you because you are the age you are. So it's this or that Mattel toy at a certain age, and then it's this or that, you know, musician or whatever, right? So everything in your life, including your private moments with your friends, when you choose to be with them on a Saturday afternoon, are generally constituted by things that are marketed to you, indoctrinated into you. There is not actually time with your friends to, let's say, explore the world apart from marketing or indoctrination. And I say that not because indoctrination or marketing are always everywhere evil, but because I actually, I think that even if you're doing something like indoctrinating your children into a specific form of Christianity, which I would support, obviously, if you do it in a certain kind of a way, they will learn that that religion is not something that they actually need or have capacity to think about or grasp on their own. It is a system of external things that some of them believe because they're more oriented towards the group and some of them don't or don't like. And as somebody who probably psychologically, I'm probably not built for organized religion. I believe Jesus instituted organized religion. So here I am but I'm not naturally built for it. When the king says bow. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I, mean, I, want, I, want, I want people who are not built for it, who are not built for group thinking, also to have capacity to be inside of it in as much as they are divinely commanded to be. And you need to give people a sense that the things that you're telling them are things that when they think about them and incorporate them into their lives, this will actually be the way that you said it was. That's the promise of wisdom biblically. And what we get in school and also in church a lot of the time is not wisdom. It's just information. And you assent to the information or you don't assent to the information. And you're miserable in the proportion that you don't assent to the information. <laughs> or remember it well enough. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. What was the third word on page 24 of the book you were supposed to read last week? I don't know, sir. Can you give me multiple choice, please? I have a chance then. Uh, got good at those. You know, you could outthink those. Um, <laughs> so my question a little bit here is, it yeah. sounds like the modern school movement then as a whole is not solely, but definitely tied to the worship of covetousness. Like the very idea is that where you are is insufficient and it is uh, it behooves you to join the herd so you might have more and if you don't this is why you're godless you know we last last episode we talked about you know they stare at you like you're a, you're a, a new gate for a cow or whatever um, mm -hmm. like you're godless because they think you are because you're not worshiping their gods and this is where for the Christian today we're, we're post 2020 at a new place where yeah. maybe what you could do five years ago as a Christian, you just can't do it now. And it's not because you better or else fiscal be mad or something. It's more like, no, no, no. Like the fire's coming. Let's so like change course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're with me on yeah. that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is, this is why, for instance, I, I, I tried to give attention even when we were talking about the history of public schooling to how much schooling has grown. Right. It's, it's one thing to say there's a public school. It exists for four months you go to it for maybe six hours a day for four months when you really don't have that much else going on in your rural community and you're going to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. 
but the rest of your time belongs to your family and to you. That's really different from even a private school with all the doctrine I could ever want my children to have to learn. And you, you have to be memorize there. Memorize and forget. You mean memorize and forget? But yeah. <laughs> well, well, I don't. I mean, I'm saying like even under optimal, let's say optimal pedagogical conditions, it, curricular it, conditions. Yeah, the, yeah. The problem is still there's so much school, and what that actually teaches is how to be in school. It doesn't teach the things that I'm trying to inculcate, and it and rather than teaching wisdom, which is as a Christian my overarching goal, which has enormous amounts to do with life application. It's the tragedy of the kind of preaching that we talked about at the beginning of the last episode. It doesn't inculcate wisdom. It, incul it inculcates information is that I need time and space that is in a really broad sense of the term leisure, even as a nine-year-old to incorporate into my own thinking and growth or as a 59-year-old the things that I hear, the things that I'm being instructed in by the pastor or my parents or my teachers. And I need to figure out how that actually works and, and what that is. And, and I need to be able to make judgments about myself as a person and other people as a person in order to understand how things need to be accomplished and what I need to amend. And that can't really happen when I'm being pushed into cattle shoots throughout my life. What school generally does is it trains me to go through the cattle chute to the slaughterhouse. And then I'll be able to do that as an adult too. So it's also why I, I don't, and I, I'm not saying this naively, maybe I'm just saying it rhetorically. I do not understand why anyone was surprised by what happened in 2020. I do not understand that at all. You well, don't have to have read. There are a lot read... of things that happen. So, so break it down yeah. for us. Because so what I mean is, what yeah. I mean is, I, you know, I reference this Frenchman saying all the Americans are the same. They all go to the same prostitutes and drink yeah. the same wine. I don't know why anyone would be surprised by people. No one's wearing a surgical mask in public. To now, everyone has to wear a surgical mask, and then they do, or whatever. All of these sorts of behaviors where people are like, "I thought this was a free country." Well, you were all going around in the 1980s saying, this is a free country, isn't it? Why were you all saying that same sentence? You had no other way of expressing it even. You don't, you, even when you're talking about freedom, you have no way of expressing yourself in your own way hmm. that is clear or interesting or anything because you don't actually think your own thoughts. And I, I was never struck by this. I was never struck by this until of all things I was watching TV. I have watched TV in the past, full disclosure to the listeners. I was watching TV and it was, a. I think I've talked about this before because I don't watch enough TV, right? So I was watching TV once upon a time and it was a PBS show about the Amish and they interviewed Amish people, okay? Now they weren't on camera because they're not allowed to be. And there's a 16 year old girl talking about why she wants to get baptized, okay? And she's, she's talking, not only are her sentences complete, they're interesting, they're clear, her English is good, but also they're sort of profound observations on life and how one day she's going to die and she wants to be with Jesus and she wants to join the church. Okay, whatever. Just forget that she doesn't believe in instant, infant baptism. Yeah, okay, yeah. just set Lutheran rage down, we live on yeah, a Lutheran planet with a, yeah, just a turn it, church. Just, yeah, just turn it down. So, so and I thought, this is, this is the most articulate 16-year-old I've ever heard. And hmm. no one even knows what her name is. 
so this isn't this is not about becoming famous for your independent thinking, becoming Mark Twain or something. This is not even about belonging to a group where everybody's crazy and everybody does. I, that's totally unrealistic for human beings. She belongs to a group in which the women all basically wear the same thing. And then the men wear their own version of basically the same thing. Okay. And they all have a certain number of last names such that I can tell from your last name if you are or used to be Amish. That's fine. She has an interior life yeah. because she was not trained not to have one. Right. And that's basically the goal here. It's why I don't police everyone's thoughts and comments on the discord. It's why I want people to do their own thinking. I want to give you stimuli to thinking, but I want people to be able to do their own thinking because I think it's the way that wisdom grows. And the 16 year old girl who was talking about why she wanted to be baptized didn't just know certain things about baptism in the Amish church. She had grown a little bit, you know, certainly a lot for her age as a modern American 16 year old, a lot of wisdom. She had insights about what was actually valuable in life. And that should be the goal of schooling, no matter what the method is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that the way I think it's important to, to reference is kind of a small point, but you said at the end, um, the way that wisdom grows is that you seek wisdom and uh, that the fool doesn't. Um, right. And the trick that we really have run into that makes it all more complex is the amount of information you're now having to seek wisdom within right. as a human. Yeah. And if you can kind of for a second, I'm not ready to publish a psychology book yet, but if you can imagine that the human self is made up of a combination of information, wisdom, and discipline, mm -hmm. and that the information is the one part that you really don't get much control of aside from the discipline of moving your body somewhere else so that you don't have to be informed. Right. Yeah. But that yeah. when you are informed, you are formed inside. You think you're a rock. You're an island because everyone's saying about it in the 70s. But you're not. You're mm -hmm. a moldy little piece of clay and, and it'll push you wherever you go if you don't have the discipline to take the time to discern what is wise and what is foolish. And that's where then wisdom becomes a very different thing than information. And even the D&D &D players know this. So, Yeah. <laughs> And I, 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 I think that wisdom has to happen for each person and it doesn't have to do it's, it's not even academic. This is where academic institutions at any level always have to remain a means to an end. The problem is that they generally become an end unto themselves, mm -hmm. which is why people become hostile to other forms of schooling of any kind. It's, uh, it's it's a lack of familiarity. It's a lack of interest. It's a feeling of being threatened. But I think above all, it's a misunderstanding of the fact that education is a process that exists for the sake of the person who needs to grow in wisdom, not just information. It doesn't exist for the sake of the educational institution, however venerable it might be. Uh, I, I continue on the same line of thought. The more that you are informed, the less you will know your own thoughts. What that means in an age in which you don't have time to sit and stare and think like the ancient people did so that they could process the four messages they got that week. Yeah. You right. don't have that. So now it's just a fact. The more you watch and are informed, the less you will know your own thoughts. And the only path out is to write your own thoughts down and look at them. 
And at first, you won't even know what you're doing. You're like, this is, it's like the homeschool problem, right? Oh, it's too hard for me to do that. Right. Well, yeah, yeah you don't use the muscle because you're a blob that's being destroyed and sucked dry. So right. the, the path is to take what I just said that you're mad about and write it down and then tell me why I'm wrong in the next sentence. Start there. And as you point out, I mean, that's the path to wisdom. You're seeking to know what you know is wrong and right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell that people are conditioned in this. And this is something that I hope we're, I, I, I think we're getting towards doing. I mean, we have to do it not just, you know, on the internet, you know, on the discord server or something, we have to do it in real life. Because if we want to build groups long term, which we'll talk about in a little bit, we have to have the capacity, not not simply to debate, like in a sort of like a kill stream style, like, these are my points, these are your points I prepared. I win or you win, but to talk through things. Yes. And we can't really talk through things unless we know how to think through things and we can't think through things. And I can tell that people can't because they know what's wrong, but they react to it in sort of 140 or 280 characters because they're conditioned as reactive, not reactionary in the good sense that I defended last time, but they're conditioned as reactive people. Hmm. They know what's wrong and they're against it, right? And this is this was familiar long before the internet or constant indoctrination. And it's like, I hate this show or I hate this TV commercial. This was, you can see this in the sense that lots of people know what's wrong religiously when they hear it, but they can't really tell what's right or why. <laughs> you know, so you can tell that there's something sort of underdeveloped about their capacity to think through things they they've been indoctrinated against but they haven't been indoctrinated for something and i'm gonna uh, say can i kind of yeah. say the, the capacity that's lost is to distinguish between thinking and feeling they cannot distinguish the two they have been that's, merged no that's one. right yeah yeah they're overtaken even when it's a, a matter of words or concepts they're overtaken by emotion that's, yeah. no, that's i think that's right yeah and and what that causes is an incapacity to for instance to kind of circle back because I think this is a foundation of human groups that are not families really. And I, I mean this sincerely is friendship. They have an incapacity for friendship because they're always talking at or about. They're never talking to, which doesn't just mean like sales. Like I'm going to tell Jonathan things that Jonathan wants to hear. Cause I've thought about him and I've thought about how he wants to hear things but they don't know how to carry on a conversation. They're always really sort of on a platform, even when they're with you without their phones in front of their faces. They don't really know how to have a friendship. And I don't, I don't blame them for not knowing how to do that because we're not any of us actually trained to have friendships because we're trained to talk about the things that we have marketed to us, talk about the things that happened at school, talk about the things happening at work, talk about the things that we saw on Netflix. We're not trained to like have a life that is then discussed. Here are the things that I did. Here's how my kids are not complaining about them, but like speaking insightfully about them, even to my spouse, we don't know how to do it. And that makes groups incredibly weak families, mm -hmm. obviously. Now, when you say weak, you mean politically, sociologically, in the course Every of Every sense. Yes. Yeah, psychologically, the hold that your family has on you is weak because those people don't even know you, let's be honest, and you don't know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let alone so your, your, your church, your pastor, your, your elders, your, your homeschool co-op, your school. 
we don't know each other because we don't know how to know each other. When you try, because it's a skill, it and is. You need time to practice. Yeah. When you, when you try, as I've been doing, and I'm bad at it, and I'm part of this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a recanter of the faith of the TV. And, and, I, and I, again, I will say it again. Tulu's tentacles are easy enough to see when you start looking for him. He's got a face in every house, and you just follow the lines. Um, it's one big Borg. And now I don't know what I want to. I want to say, I oh, say I in the spirit of friendship, just that I appreciate when you limit your references to Lovecraft because I can follow at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, I can follow Lovecraft. Yeah. I mean, Skynet, <laughs> Skynet, Cthulhu, The Matrix—they're all kind of in the same, you know, beastly category. That Revelation gives us two of those, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But always on a platform, you said, and then so what's the thing that I found interesting that I've heard even my children now say? Yeah. As yeah. we're backing off as a group is. I feel like I used to be on a sitcom oh, and yeah. now I'm realizing yeah. that the people I'm with aren't the people on the sitcom. You're still yeah. you, but you're, you yeah. have to deal with you in a different way. And this is, this, it's, it's, this it's, is it's, a cause. A this is a cause of so much unhappiness is people thinking that they're somehow in something that they saw. Yeah. Right. It, and it's, and it's, it's <laughs> sick, but it's true. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm dying. Cause television, do the Greek. It's not all Greek. It's a combination of Greek and Latin. That's interesting. Tell us. What's that mean? The end of all things. Vision. What you see. And uh, what you just said again. Like they're, they're being pulled into the fullness, right? Of thinking that really was living. I saw a bird fly on the Discovery Channel. I have seen birds. There yeah, is or a like, certain, like I, I love nature or all cops are bastards or anything else that they got from someone they don't actually know. Yeah. Yeah. Spoken to them again at the end of a long string of, of wiggly, crooked reality in which you have no ability to hold accountable uh, the God who is talking. So for my part, recognizing that uh, I'm going to say this for the sake of the Christians listening, uh, that a Christian doesn't have any idols. Like as a Christian, you, you can't actually. However, your fleshly man, you may have them in your life and you want to repent of those. In fact, we're told to. But it doesn't mean that just because there are idols in the world that people worship, that every time you pass that statue and look at it, you're worshiping it. But if they're worshiping it and you're doing what they're doing, now we've crossed a boundary, right? And that's yeah. where I just don't know how to say this is not an idol. Uh, it, 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 culturally, for our soul and all these kinds of things, which doesn't mean, Christian, you never watch it. It, it just means, no, you're looking at an idol. Like literally, old school style, high places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a lot easier than it used to be because the nature of the idolatry, the nature of the indoctrination and messaging is so constant, yeah, right. right? So constant. And there's only so much that people can take. Now, once they realize there's only so much they can take, they have to talk about that. They have to think through it for themselves. Why, how, what's wrong? What do I actually think? Since I'm against this, do I think anything positively about this is what a family is, whatever. But then they also have to talk it through with other people because I think one of the one of the takeaways from the history of homeschooling is that it is an unusual combination, not just of being out in front of the game instead of waiting for people to tell you how you're going to play the game and how precisely they're going to tie your left hand behind your back. <laughs> but also, it's, it's an unusual example of wholesome conservative people actually organizing. 
for their own benefit. Now, I've described that generally in sort of political terms, but I think it's also true on a human level in the case of homeschool co-ops or just you know, play groups where they're not actually schooling together, but they're meeting each other, socializing together, that if that's prioritized, it not only changes the way that you behave. So I, I can go to certain places with people that I know, and I know that none of us will even have our phones around when we're together. Now that's, that's somewhat unusual in modern America, right? But I can rely on it in certain groups that I belong to or go to or, or, or are part of, right? So you can create alternate futures now. Yes. Okay. Um, and then thus a definitely an alternate future sometime when. Yeah. Through the really the way that you do have to do it on an individual level, but the way that you can do that in a lasting way is is in groups. And those those are things that you might have to do the work of forming. But once you unplug, you have way more time than you thought you did. But you don't even, if you and your two buddies, you're all 15. If you can see this game right now and you just decide you're going to form a kingdom and you're going to have a, a common shared idea and goal that's going to unify you and you start working on that now, your grandkids will run all sorts of crazy stuff because you just stuck it through. Most people are going to hang out, start a band and stop, go do something else with some other new people. They're not going to form lifelong relationships that endeavor to create a community that outlasts themselves. But right now, you just said it right now is the time. Put the seed in the ground, whatever you think it is. I know what I'm doing. I'll tell you about it anytime. Listen to my other shows. Um, but this is the time. Put the seed in the ground. It's not as hard as you think. It just takes three or four people that are going to be like, let's, let's start a society where uh, let's just, let's imagine that at our church where everyone's w- looking at phones, you know, in the narthex while they talk, let's imagine that never happens, but we can't tell them all to do it. What if we just stay here the rest of our lives, never do it and teach our kids not to do it in three generations. Everyone else is gone. And in fact, we are who we want to be. Now is the time is what you're saying. So, yeah. And I, I think that this is really basic when you understand that the way that power works in a capitalist democracy is not actually through individualism, that the people who are actually in control of the messaging and the schools and things like that, big business, the defense department is concerned about white rage. Those people behave in collective ways. Some of them believe it more than others, but they behave in collective ways. So if you are being assaulted by a cartel of groups, capital going along with critical race theory, going along with academia, going along with public schooling, going along with the Department of Defense, then you need to be a cartel yourself. You need to organize. You need to realize some people have different strengths and, and utilize those, optimize those. Because you're not going to survive as an individual, not even as an individual family totally on your own. Because, let me, let me just give you an example. Let's say you all want to be together, right? You want to have, you're going to have a church and you're going to have a school, or you're going to have a homeschool co-op or whatever, however you're going to do this for your kids, right? And you're like, okay, well, we're, we're all going to buy land right next to each other. Well, here's the problem. You know, your country is not run by your goodwill or the goodwill of your group. It's run by money. So let's say somebody falls on financial hard times and he has to sell and move. Well, now Bill Gates or BlackRock Management Incorporated can buy that land or some bidder from some place with thoughts you don't want people to have is going to buy that land. Now your little community is beginning to fragment. 
And that's everybody's little community. You know, that's what the, uh, that's what the movie, the last picture show is all about or the book started as a book. You know, you're going to fragment, people are going to leave. They're going to leave your small town, your small community, and they're not going to come back. You have to organize as a group. Okay. And that could be on a legal level. How is the land held? Is there a board that holds the land? Okay. And your, your best example of this, honestly, your most successful example in American history, people hate this, are the Mormons. Hmm. Okay. The Mormons are existentially threatened numerous times and their leader dies, let's say, assassinated, <laughs> martyred. These are all terms that are a little too strong. He dies asking for help from his Masonic brothers, not receiving it. Am I not a man and a brother? Joseph says as he dies. What, what, why do the Mormons still exist? Because they remain a group. Hmm. So quote, rugged American individualism doesn't mean that there are no groups. It means that the group is there to optimize the life of the average member who belongs to the group. Privilege. And I think this is for me, one of the most promising things about the future in America. I don't hope that Christianity is going to get all kinds of legal benefits it doesn't have right now. I hope that for, as it was for me, coming from the background that I came from not being a Christian, people will understand very clearly that this is really the only wise way to live. But if the Christians are not organized as a group, they will neither be able to spread that message nor maintain its existence. So you have to think in terms of forming and maintaining groups, probably primarily around churches, in order to survive so that you will have something to say to people who are kind of refugees from the modern world. Yeah. And so dovetail in theory to post-2020 homeschool is yeah. one way to do this. And it's a big way. And I think it's a powerful way because, and I would start with appeal to mothers. Honestly, I would. They don't want to be apart from their children. They don't actually want to on a deep level. Yeah, psychological soul. And they know what is wrong with their children wearing masks and being on this schedule and that schedule. The problem is that there are almost no groups in any given place offering some alternative way of life that a person can actually enter into. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's hard to so stop being a slave. It's yes. hard to stop being a slave. It's not easy. Right. Right. So, you know, like an American denomination is built to give you differing opinions from your neighbors. It's almost never built to give you a different life from your neighbors. And that's for understandable historical reasons. If it's going to survive, it has to offer a different life. It has to, because if it doesn't, then it won't even be allowed to inculcate its opinions soon. If it doesn't offer a different life, if provision is not made for a differing way of life for the person who belongs to this group, then the group will go out of existence because what's the point? And, and why would I risk it, right? So like example would be, you know. Uh, Let's cooperate and graduate. Let's cooperate and graduate. At some point, you just give up on holding that line so hard because you don't really think you need to. Yeah. I mean, the point is like, what, why, why would I hold this line? Like, what is this line even, what is this line for? Right. And to me, this is why people become not so much like necessarily hostile in, a, in, in every case, but reliably apathetic toward the religion in which they were raised is because it just doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter. And it would be easier if they could give up on certain of those beliefs 
because who cares? It doesn't matter for life. Now, if it comes to matter for life, like, well, my kid doesn't have to live under constant psychological, you know, destruction, being told when he's eight, how evil he is, right? right? He doesn't have to do that because he belongs to this group. Now, that's actually something powerful for somebody. That's an incentive to belong to the group. And it's why groups that people find mystifyingly weird will often grow because there's a reason to belong to the group, right? It's obviously, I mean, I thought about this all the time because we had, we had in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, you know, your most, that's, that's the most urban situation in which the Amish live. It's overwhelmingly suburban, but people are everywhere. There's stuff everywhere. Yeah, they get it's passed by growing. cars on the street and all that. Totally. And it's kind of dangerous for them, honestly, in a right. way that upstate New York or Colorado would not be. Why are, well, why, why do they retain so many of their youth way more than they did 50 years ago as a percentage? It's because what do we have to offer them? Yeah, right. Despair and some sex. You know, I think about that if I were ever in a, you know, a Mormon heavy area of the United States, what do I have to offer you? I have to offer, I have the truth, but on a human level, on an emotional level, come into my church where you'll, you'll be alone with, you know, these other people who are basically alone in life hmm. and we don't have family home evening. What is a family? Yeah. What do I have to offer you? So if we don't have an answer to that, I don't really see how or why we would survive. We would probably go the way of like the state church in East Germany where the, where the state just builds alternatives to everything that the church offers right? and then disincentivizes belonging to the church. I mean, we're already there. It just works through like money instead of state diktat generally. So let's, let's hit for a second, if we can, the Lutheran rage that'll be like, okay, Kuntz just said that doctrine's not enough to grow the church, that the word is not possible to just alone be successful. And that's what we need to believe. And, and I, I think that is really to miss what you are saying in that if your group yeah. does not have families in which fathers talk to sons and which fathers talk to fathers. You don't got the word, whatever you think you got. It's an idea in your head about the word and it ain't okay. the word. There yeah. is a, there's a deficiency in the Holy spirit and I am not a Pentecostal, um, but there, there's a lack of belief and it will have an effect. So what, what I mean specifically is that let, let's say you take the apostle Paul. Okay. Paul is a person of extreme decisiveness regardless of the specific content of his decisions. He's decisively against Christianity, then he's decisively and fervently for it, and he's energetic no matter what he's doing. Peter is obviously a different kind of a person. Peter vacillates more easily. He's passionate, but in a short-term kind of a way, okay? My sincere interest is not only to get a few refugees from the modern world, like myself, who am decisive, and don't like to be told what to think into the church. There are some of those people out there, and <laughs> I think they're worthwhile finding. But most people are not like that. And my sincere desire is that America would turn to Christ. So I need to design the way that I'm doing that in a way that makes it least costly and most beautiful for the person who is coming into the church. So I won't just offer you truths you need to learn from books. I will certainly do that. I will also offer you a coherent way of living that is an alternative to the hellscape in which you have lived previously. That's what I'm saying. And peoples are never converted simply by force of blunt conviction, 
right? In the past, they could be brought in by a king who could command that they all be baptized or something. And we can say that was insincere, that was wrong or whatever, but that's how it worked. That's like, how it like worked. Like two generations later, you got Christians and they're Christians. You just deal with one yeah. or the other. It's yes. how it worked. That's right. So I don't have that because I don't have currently in the North American continent, kings who are commanding people to all yes. be baptized. Oh, that's our whole listener base. <laughs> we got we got thirteen hundred kings listen every week, and they're all going to start organizations that will eventually tie together because we're all going to know each other because we pray the sons of Solomon prayers. Dude, we're taking over the world. There we Come go. On. Okay, so until that happens, it's happening. Why? I want to. I want to make it. I want to. I want to make it as clear as possible that this person is escaping the hell hmm. all around them. Yeah. Yeah. For okay. sure. That's all I'm saying. Because my insight as somebody who has brought new Christians in and was once a new Christian within my own psychological memory is that very few people are like myself and will just go to church by sheer force of conviction and keep going even when no one tells them why or how to keep going. A bit more like sheep, right? Yeah. And that's how people, that's how most people are. And that's totally fine. It's totally offensive. How can we say such things? You must be a, a clericalist or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, that's, that, that's my, that's my desire. And so you, you have to, if you sincerely love people, you have to make ways of belonging actually accessible to them rather than totally out of read. Please read this 400 page book so you can be a real Lutheran. We talked about this, I think it was on the last episode, uh, kind of in the category of vocation or Mm -hmm. diversity, or I mentioned Brave New World and the Alpha beta, epsilon, kind of breakdown of human capabilities. You have European styles of trade school versus uh, other types of study and scholastic education. Um, so that idea uh, remains uh, remains part of the big nugget here, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so homeschooling then is going to have to answer that question. Are we raising people who are different than each other? Or And that's why what you really discover quickly, right, is how how wide the curriculum has to become because there is a deep value in the individuality fostered in the group that shares a group identity that, that can't quite happen outside of this kind of building. Right. Right. Yeah. And I I think, I think that that's an, that's an insight about the, the nature of individuality that individuality is marketed to you by regime incorporated as something everyone just has. It's why people are really resistant to the idea that groups have characteristics that comes up in discussion of race and ethnicity, but it also comes up in discussion of religious groups behaving in predictable ways. They're resistant to that idea because we're all taught to think of ourselves as individuals. The problem with that is that I think we all are individuals, but that is not visible to most people. Mm -hmm. So if I go to Ghana and people just see a white man, not a white man that is from anywhere specific that a white man could be from. I don't object to that because the visibility of individuality generally only occurs on the lowest possible level. So to other people, all of my children look precisely the same. And I understand why they say that. (laughs) But to me, they all look very different and are very different. But to other people, they're not. And so individuality, I think, is meant to be cultivated on low levels. I don't need the Ghanaian government to recognize how special and unique I am. 
Right. Now, so, can, I, can I pull that concept yeah. now back into kind of the previous discussion then about yeah. the church talking to people or your community getting together to preserve its way of life? Right. And, you know, Luther talks about the milkmaid, preaching for the milkmaid. And I hear lots of people talk about that and then they don't. And so I, I don't know if that idea that the milkmaid <laughs> needs to hear the sermon that you're preaching the same way that the lawyer does helps anybody. Mm-hmm. What I do know is that like practically this struck me when I realized that the only way to become a member of my congregations, because I was doing what I've everyone's always been doing was uh, to ask them to go to school on the weekend for a while. And that the people I was talking to in Rockford hate school. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that my church that you actually looked into because you're interested in something we said about Jesus, you can come, but you can't go to communion until you pass a class. And this isn't just confirmation again. This is about recognizing that uh, Wolf Mueller, one of my buddies, you're, you know him well, uh, I think mm-hmm. as well, um, you know, says it's like, it's like you're there and the guy needs triage and you have to tell him to go do CPR and you're going to teach him about CPR, but he needs triage like right now. Right? <laughs> and and there's, there's this level at which we, we just, we're aiming at a very small category of people who are like us. There's certain presumptions about uh, language and education and whatnot. That group of people is shrinking dynamically and we appear to be unable to like that Amish girl elucidate our faith in words not coming from the confessions. So there you go. Yeah. And that, in this sense, homeschooling is kind of practice for something that I think has much broader application, which is that if I recognize that someone is not being reached by my group, the incumbency as a Christian is on me, not on that person to reach that person. And so that applies to my differing children. So even if my children go to a school building where I don't teach on a regular basis, and if you're a Christian, that should be a Christian school, okay? Even if that happens, I'm still homeschooling because I'm their father. Similarly, uh, so I need to understand their personalities. Similarly, if there's a group that I'm not reaching, so there's a really, this is really something that you notice if you look at beginning in the 19th century, as cities grow enormously, you begin to get enormous numbers of people, even in places like England, where it's actually mandated that there be a Church of England parish for every certain political designation, like low-level local political designation. You have to have a parish operative there. Everyone can have recourse to a Church of England priest. Okay. Even where that exists, they fall way behind on the growth of cities. And there's a very sort of moving description of this in Owen Chadwick in the the Victorian church, the book's called, talking about how they just dropped the ball on the working class. The working class is growing exponentially. They're alienated from the land. They move to the city. No one cares. The people who care are largely uh, people who are free to put a church anywhere they want, which would be the non-Church of England people, Catholics, Congregationalists, Baptists. The people who are legally mandated to care simply don't and won't. And so they just lose those people. Something similar happened with lots of people who should be Anglicans in the United States in colonial times. So when I recognize that I'm not reaching someone, I need to get to that person. I need to, I need to put the work on myself to get there. And if that's the case with my methods of instruction or what we offer, the kinds of, let's say, Let's say there's a lot of growing homelessness in my area, but I don't, we don't do anything 
four about it, four about people who are homeless, then I don't need to expect God's blessing on what I'm doing because the very thing right in front of my eyes, just like my child that I don't talk to and I just put screens in front of, the very thing right in front of my eyes is the thing that I pay the least attention to. And I'm all worked up about something that happened at denominational headquarters or something that happened in Malaysian politics. And I'm tweeting about that. Or New York or California or somewhere else far away. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? And you said, I don't need to expect God's blessing. That was the nicest way to say that um, you need to expect fire. You do. I mean, if if you're gonna if you're gonna look at the poor, yeah, and not remember the poor, right? But instead, zombie like, just believe that's an animal over there and they'll be fine. I mean, if that's where the spirit of the age has taken you, yeah, yeah. your congregation's not going to grow. And no matter how many screens you put in, no matter how many times you revitalize, all this kind of stuff we're doing, right. who put some music going? You know, it doesn't matter if God sends you people. It might still be a curse. The point is, if if you're going to do things directly against the evident word of God. The most evident, again, I'm talking to Christians, but like the most evident things like fathers, talk to your sons about the word of God. Like, don't just expect not to get blessed, expect to be cursed because you're, you're doing it to yourself. Yeah. And I, I, in this way, I, I see the, the turn toward homeschooling, not only as a cultural, a theological, a political reaction to the things that happened in the sixties, it's also an indication of, of what should be a central concern that has become a niche concern because our society is a hellscape. And that central concern in this case is the upbringing of children. I I don't really think there's anything more important in a person's life. In addition to that, things that should be central are completely forgotten, right? And this applies to entire classes of people. It applies in some ways except for, you know, government programs paid for by monopoly money. It applies to the homeless. There are entire portions of America, get anywhere that's like a half hour or more away from an interstate, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. This is just forgotten. No one cares. There are still people there, but no one cares. I live in a city, and it's called West Rockford, and it's this, it's that. It's on the wrong side of the river. They Mm -hmm. got a couple public buildings that are down there in the federal courthouse. So there's money just two blocks in, and then it's just no one's ever going to care. Ever again. Right. I mean, you might have the state come in and level the state housing and then put it up somewhere else in the state. That might happen in the future here. There'll be less housing here. That could happen. And there, I mean, the reason to talk about this is not necessarily because the listener lives there. It's because if people that listen to this or people that all go to this kind of a church or whatever kind of affiliation you have organize in the name of those children or those homeless men or that, you know, forgotten county in, you know, Western Illinois or Southeastern Kansas or whatever it is, then you don't have to live there to help there. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't have to live there to do something good where you live. And the thing is, people that live in those places or the children that are sitting in those schools know that nobody cares. Yeah. They know it. So if anyone ever exhibited any level of caring it would be very powerful yeah. for that those children, those homeless men, that county, because no one's ever shown them that love. No one cares. And they, and they, they know it. They feel it. That's why they're looking at the clock all the time. Yeah, I, I want to push that even deeper and say yeah. poor as an idea, the impoverished, the impoverished is idea that scales practically, practically, fra- um, uh, yeah, practically. 
it, uh, it has a fractal approach. So uh, I said that really poorly. Let me try it again. Um, poverty can be understood as a local, we talked about proximity last time, a local reality yeah. wherever you are. So that within yeah. my table at home, there is a most poor. And within my neighborhood, right out the door, there is a most, there is a poor, there's a poor. And, and then down the road, like I said, I mean, I go that way 15 minutes and I got the whole country's worst poor. It was like right there. And, uh, but the point is like, wherever you are, there is someone who is poor, who you can mm-hmm. learn to see. Mm-hmm. Start with that. See the poor. You won't be able to not help them in some way once you start seeing it. But that, that's just it to, to see that the, the idea of the poor person isn't just about how much money I have, right? Do I have cool things? It is based on your relationships with other people. And uh, the poor in spirit are the ones who indeed know nobody cares. They're alone. They got no one to give them spirit. They just, they just rather just get some hedonism and die. And I, I, I get it, actually, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that I think that if there is a sickness that you become most aware of sitting in school, a sickness of the soul that then infects almost any any realm of life I've ever been in having lived in America my entire life, it is apathy. You just you just know people don't care and it's fake. So, cooperating graduate is is a reaction or get drunk or get high or do whatever you're doing to escape this reality. Mm -hmm. These are not really things I've gone in for, but they're totally understandable on a human level reactions to apathy. That is you, you want some exit from apathy and from just things being meaningless and things are meaningless. I think precisely because love is so absent. I mean, Indifference is just default. People indifferent, things indifferent, activities indifferent, careers indifferent, 45 years of your life indifferent. You can get divorced at the end of it and, you know, move to Costa Rica or something. I mean, the love of many has grown cold. It's cold. It's so cold. And this is maybe why we're as miserable as we are. So I, 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 I don't think we've been talking about education and I, and I, want to, I want to talk about higher education in the future, but I don't think we've been talking about it just in order to provide information about the history. I think that's illuminating, I hope, but I I think it's partly because when you're talking about education very broadly, not just schooling, you're talking about what is either right or wrong with someone's soul. And the sickness of souls is something that you see everywhere, because I think that our particular rampant sickness is, is just apathy and indifference in which we are schooled extensively. Yeah. So a lot of what we've been talking about so far in this episode kind of comes under the heading of heading of groups are the future, uh, that, that the corporate reality is one that is going to lay siege, right. which will go over the long time. Um, right. so let's, let's go back to then why would homeschooling take off then in 2020 as one of these groups and, and move on from there to do more specific homeschooling stuff? Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, and it's fine. It's gotten very big picture because, this is big picture stuff because the push for homeschooling initially um, in the 60s, 70s, 80s by the different groups we talked about last week, but also the push into homeschooling in the past 15 or 16 months is not a result of lots of like rational research necessarily. 
it's a push out of what is obviously detrimental and crushing. And so that is a lot of potential group energy and potential future. That does, however, have to be organized such that I think if you're thinking like, should I get a master's degree or should I learn how to like run a meeting effectively? You need to, you need to focus on running a meeting effectively or organizing like an activity schedule for a homeschool co-op effectively first, because those kinds of things are what ensure group survival. So if you have a group that you love and care about, not just your family, but your parish, your whatever, your co-op, whatever, then what you want to do is push on anything that's going to give the group coherence, mm-hmm. um, a sense of self, a sense of loyalty, a sense of belonging, a sense that you are not apathetic because they can have any consumer experience they want with the crushing apathy, indifference, and self-hatred induced by consumer experiences, everything from drug addiction to sexual addiction to whatever else. They can have that without your group. And they will slide into that without your group because anything that enslaves you on the level of your soul is is or is becoming currently in America available. Anything that provides you with wisdom and discipline is becoming less and less and less available. So you want to be in a group and for a group and with a group that provides wisdom and discipline, right? Um, On any level, it could be wisdom and discipline about fly fishing, but we're generally talking about things a lot bigger than that. So how does this relate to gun rights? Well, gun rights is a parallel to homeschoolers in the sense that it's politically relatively well organized after the 70s. It's not parallel to homeschoolers in that I think some of the stuff that we talked about with Pastor Grills is not parallel because it's successfully turned into like a market, right? So there are people who have way more guns than the average gun owner did in 1951 hmm. because it's a, it's, it is, it has become its own set of consumer experiences. Something very similar happened with survivalism of which a history would be kind of fun, but maybe a little too weird for it people. I don't consumer know. survivalism. I mean, think yeah, it is. it is. It is buy these foods, buy this real estate, do this, do that. And then once you buy enough stuff or the right kind of stuff, and then you get trained on the stuff, you'll be good. And it's not so much that, buying the gun and training on the gun or buying the land and learning how to work the land is bad. It's that the end goal of these things was quickly turned from sort of a grassroots opposition to taking away gun rights or grassroots opposition to the craziness of, of urban American life in the case of survival survivalism and, and, and nuclear war in the seventies. It's that they were successfully turned into consumer experiences. And if regime incorporated wants homeschooling to suffer a similar fate. I, it could go for outright banning. Okay. It could, that's hard to do. And that's 50 separate fights. So one way to make it, to neuter it would be to turn it into something that is simply a consumer experience. So that's an option. And then you would have entryism from lots of people who are a little too normal for their own good. And then there would be no oppositional aspect to homeschooling. 
And then also you say, you market to them, okay, well, you know, this is hard and that is hard and this is hard. So let's do this. And so basically we could get everyone being schooled in their home. It would just be online and you would have maybe a school voucher to pick from. That would be one way to do it with an appearance of greater freedom than having to go to a school building. But generally our regime doesn't work through banning explicitly and obviously. They'll have a private entity ban, Facebook ban, Twitter ban, or they'll provide marketing options and something will therefore, money will flood into it. And suddenly, you know, you don't actually really raise your own vegetables because you're a survivalist. You just buy the dried goods from people in the right shipments at certain times, or you're a quote, a homeschooler, but you don't actually do the instruction. So your child's actually quite disconnected from you, really. So these are ways that I think the regime would attack homeschooling besides outright banning, which is obviously possible, but it's just usually not the way that they do things. It was the point you made before that it just is more work and money for them to do it that way. It's more and work and money. And they prefer, they really do have a dislike. They have a dislike of directness of all kinds. It's true. Okay? They're all, they're all afraid of conflict. It's really true. They are, they are extremely conflict averse. Huh. And so this is, I mean, the, that probably pertains to like future wars, but it also pertains, I think, to how they would go about trying to achieve their goals. And generally they go about that in indirect ways that make you think that it was your goal too all along. Which again, and they use a story, a story that everyone says is normal that you just have to believe. But the, this is kind of the good news. It's, mm -hmm. it's not as dangerous as you think yet. Yeah. Right. Like now, I mean, I don't know. I got people flying Trump flags all around here still. And, and I look at it and I go, you know, I just don't think that's the tact we want right now. The tact is to realize that ain't going to work and, and see though, that we're pretty safe. Now you can fly that Trump flag. You can put, you can put up 15 flags and do all this stuff and say, I hate everything they're doing and no one's going to do anything to you. But if that's all you're doing is find a bunch of flags, the day is coming where right. they're just going to yep. buy your land. They're just going to buy your yep. land. Right. Yeah, well, and they are, because if you look at land prices, and this this is something we'll talk about in a couple months, um, I'm doing the work on it now, they are making it increasingly difficult for you to have a life that you actually possess. And we talked about this all the way back with the Great Reset stuff, but this is concretely how it's occurring, where land prices are absurd, even in forgotten corners of America, 30, you know, 30 minutes from, from any interstate. Yeah. Because they're all owned by the same corporations that are using them as part increasingly, of the, the casino, right? Increasingly the casino, so. Which is why the best thing you can do is become a group that is able to maintain your place in the casino, if at all possible. Or yeah. leave. Yeah, or leave. And the problem is, if you don't want to get you know gunned down by security, you need to leave as a group. Well, and then the problem is, uh, you, you, I don't know if you've looked into leaving the United States as a United States citizen. Not easy. Not easy. Not what you think it would be. Mm. I um, I have not looked into it for reasons that are. I've looked into living in different, you know, this or that different state, but I haven't looked at leaving the United States because I, th I think I, I think because it's enormous. I mean, we don't live in like Belgium. Uh, you know, it's not a country the size of New Jersey or something. It's enormous, but but also because I understand nations not to be accidental 
or entirely elective. And I would still be an American even if I went to Siberia. So until that becomes in so, in someone's estimation absolutely necessary. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah. I guess, and, I guess, that, and that's and that, so I, I mean I feel like Paul with the Jews about the Americans. I I will always be one and they are my own. So I want to be here, you know, as as long as possible. I just want for the listeners who have sort of in the back of their mind the Escape from America plan. There, there's a book about it uh, written by some dude. I don't know. Tim Ferriss told me about it way back when. And I mean, mm-hmm. he details like, no, you can't get out of this country. And <laughs> other countries don't want you. I mean, you go to Mexico. You could walk down to Mexico. That's yeah. true. You could just do yeah. that. But aside from that, your options are pretty limited. Now, like you said, I mean. I'm saying this so everyone kind of realizes, okay, when you said move, you aren't really talking about continental jumps. You may not even be talking about sectional jumps, although you kind of are probably talking sectionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that it, we don't mean some sort of like a cataclysmic transmigration of people across the whole planet. I thought I had something to say next, but you probably do. So you can. <laughs> I, I think that one of, the, one of the things maybe we haven't talked about just yet today is the idea of groups being interlocking and interlinking. And so this is, this is something to think about, even if you are thinking, you know, migration, is that you, you have to have connections with other groups, both on a local level, even just to understand what the lay of the land is in the local area. What is the legal situation? What's the political situation? What's the economic situation? What's the, what's the farming situation? Do you have local beef available to you? But also you want to remain interlinked as much as you can with others. I mean, I have found this, this summer, I'm kind of all over the place in uh, a geographical sense of the word. And it's wonderful because I'm talking to people, not only who, who listen, but also who have their own ideas, who have their own projects, who have their own kind of amazing things going on. And it's wonderful to see, and it's encouraging in a way, especially in person to see that is hard to express, even if you knew it was going on, you know, from a distance. And so those, those ways of being interlinked and of being very intentional about meeting up with people are things that whether you're talking about homeschooling or guns or whatever, I think you want and you want to foster and you need to be very intentional about fostering because there is something that I've, that I've mentioned, but I, I really do think at the heart of public life, life beyond the family is friendship and amity. And if those things are not cultivated, they simply don't exist. Now, this is especially the case for male friendship in modern America. It is not cultivated. It's understood as like, it's, there's always, there's now like, it's potentially sexual, Thank you. Um, you got gay rights options, movement. Right? So it's like it's like a sexual or it's like we hit each other. <laughs> right. Right. And so your 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 models for masculinity are extremely narrow. They involve either like fixing lifted trucks or being a homosexual. Those are the options. And then friendship involves drinking beer and talking about someone, some other man in a faraway city who hates you actually, playing sports, or again, being a homosexual. Those are your options. And so that's actually no way to plan anything or to build anything, because if you could be together with people and not talk about sports, yeah, you could talk about the future, then you might actually be able to build something and coordinate something and learn how to like 
submit your personality and your desires to what's best for the group right now. Learn how to talk and not to talk in a meeting, things like that. Just real, I mean, they're basic things. They're people, they're things that the odd fellows, you know, and the bowling league used to know that people now struggle to even pay attention the entire time without checking their phones. So these are things that we have to intentionally cultivate because they're not handed to us. And that's actually okay. I mean, it's kind of fantastic because I would hate to be in like 1997 and not know what's coming. Yeah, right. I don't want to go back there. No, you know, people are kind of nostalgic for like pre Trayvon Martin America, right? Where we could still all sort of believe that it we were all. It was such a spinning whirlwind of despair. Was, I mean, we were all, you know, but it, but you know, I mean, it was it it truly was not. There was something nihilistic about it. So I like the difficulty. I like the intensity. I like the necessary intentionality. Nihilism is a great word. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, but I think that I think that friendship. I mean, nihilism is kind of the belief underneath apathy. Friendship is the activity and the cultivation and the existence of friendship is the activity underneath actually caring about someone. Right. Because you are seeking his good or that group's good rather than your own. And it's simply a better way to live rather than seeking your own good or your own career advancement in financial or social capital. And it's a way oriented toward the future because you're subordinating your your the growth of your financial or social capital or whatever to the hour you just devoted to this person or the 60 hours this year that you've devoted to this group that you help organize or whatever. And that long-term like raising a family is more difficult than consuming and being promoted or whatever, being cooperating and graduating the life, but it's far more rewarding and fulfilling than cooperating and graduating the life which is something that I think we'll be talking about and talking about higher education too, is that the goals for education shift along with the social goals that the group, that the entire society has. And because we don't have a social goal of being a human being, we have a social goal given to us of cooperating. We are not given the skills, not only for budgeting for ourselves or cooking for ourselves. We're not given the skills of being with each other in long lasting or fruitful ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So much good stuff there on the nihilism that I piped up. Yeah. Uh, so you said it was in the context of like going back to 1997 and yeah. like being in the nostalgia <laughs> that, that was nihilistic. And I, and it, it triggered this thought. I remember very vividly believing that the goal of life is to not work. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. because school taught me that work sucks. Right. And and it does if you go to where most people work. Not all yep. work is bad, though. But the idea that work is bad, that's nihilism. Actually, the work is bad. And what you're suggesting is that the work that we've been trying to get away from is good. And, and not only does it produce good in terms of, like, product, but that it is, a, it, is a, it is a nutritious thing for the soul. And that from this, the work of personal relationships right. also is a good thing, right? People right. aren't there to be afraid of them. They're there because they're... Odd fellows, you know, they're, they're interesting stories waiting to happen, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say friendship is at the heart of public life, but I encounter the same nihilism when people talk about their families. And I, I truly don't, I truly don't get this. I mean, I get why it's normal. I don't get how people can think this way about their own children. I, 
I do not understand experiencing your own children as a burden, okay? Uh, a challenge to provide for, a challenge to raise, sure. But experiencing new human life as a burden, no. And that has to be inculcated. And to me, that's why the, the history of the education system is so such a marvelous example of a change that is very simple to understand, which is that a society will be judged by its treatment and its care and its love for children. Correct. You know, it will. In the, it, and they will, the children will be judged too. The children will be the judges and the judgment. It's yeah, horrifying. Right, right. precisely. Precisely. Yeah. And so I understand um, that this is a problem for people, that they, that they experience their children as a burden, as a problem more children as a burden, as a problem, such that when I am somewhere with my children, people are shocked at the, just the sheer number of them. Like, how could this even be possible? But to me, that, that really is similar to being like, what is it like being a billionaire? You know, I bet it's just so hard. It's like, well, yeah, I have to, I have to figure out wealth management and I have to figure out investment and I have to figure out charitable giving, but I'm a billionaire. So, I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty great too. Yeah. Rock right? and roll, rock and roll, man. Right. All the way. So, so yeah, I mean, there's things that I have to figure out because I have, you know, more than 1.4 children or whatever the actual total fertility rate is in 2021 America. But I mean, it's, it is like being a billionaire, like the amount of human joy and love is like being a billionaire. I mean, it's, I, yeah. I have won the life lottery. I mean, Pro I talk procreation about is the cup, which overflows, man. It, it really does. The cup yeah. Which overflows. yeah. And so, when you look at the history of education, you're like, okay, we've gone from not only do people have more children, but the children that they do have, they treat in this vastly different way. Abusive. Yeah. Well, that's where we are now. I think, right? yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 Where it's like, oh, you're a kid. Your existence is a problem. We could have killed you before you were born. You won the post Roe v. Wade birth lottery. Here you are. Go to these institutions, become over socialized, become miserable mutilate your body potentially uh, in order to attain uh, like minority victim status. That's where we are. Those are the options, yeah, right? Yeah. So this is a society. It's not just that it's going to die, which is why I, I'm, it's a light thing to me, whether I'm judged by it, but it's a society that, I mean, it, there's something, there's just something profoundly sad that we've uh, about the story that we've been telling over the past however many episodes. And that will be, in its way, sort of sad about higher education. I see developments in both private schooling, but to a much larger degree and, and a much larger percentage of Americans relative to their numbers 10 years ago, homeschooling, but also in higher education. And I'll talk about Luther Classical College, which I'm getting involved with as well when we talk about higher education, that I see people looking for alternatives because I think that they understand that what we're currently doing, like Regime Inc. Hellscape is just not a life for people to dude, live. Dude, Regime Inc. Hellscape? That's You've right. You've given me so many good titles. We don't That's what we're calling. Because it's kid That's what we're four. calling. Yeah, exit. This would be exit from Regime Inc. Hellscape would be, would be this episode. I think especially because I... When I talk about big picture stuff, when I talk about like small things, what do I have to do every day? It's a lot of work. When I talk about big picture stuff or long-term things, or I look back over things that have been achieved in the past 10 years, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Because, you know, I think, I think that truth has a way of making itself known. Mm -hmm. um, this is part of God's way with men. 
And so the truth will be known and uh, wonderful things will come out of that and, and freedom will be obtained because it does set you free. So I think that that's, that's all to the good. And it's why in, I'm basically optimistic, not about American education in its entirety, but about lots of things going on in education in America, because I, I think that people are awake. The opportunities are so abounding. So, yeah, so totally. I turned off Minecraft and came into my garage and then started thinking, how can I really live? And it's so cool that I can, in this consumer world, I can level up fast. Mm -hmm. I can learn things quick and I can give my kids opportunities to level mm -hmm. themselves up in a playroom that's in fact their education. And right. to, to seize that opportunity right now before the cheap goods go away, before you can't buy power drills for a hundred bucks, right? Like to, you know, <laughs> uh, get into whatever your, your hands uh, can experience now um, because we do have a, a golden age of opportunity. And in that regard, you, you mentioned interlocutional groups before. Um, you were talking about, you know, that the group has to connect to other groups. Yeah. And yep. a number of thoughts coming out of that. One of them is, is well, isn't that what a church body is? For? That's what it's yeah. That's what it's supposed yeah, yeah, to be for. Right. It's that's started, what it's supposed I think, to be for. I think how how started. I think people always start try to start church bodies. I think what happens is they have interlocutional groups standing against a threat, and then they succeed, and the threat goes away, and now you have a church body that right. is going to protect itself and do the same thing to everybody else, and on it goes, on it goes. So, but with that idea, you're talking about when you talk about uh, groups talking to groups, you're really into media ecology big time. With regard to networking is the word. You never use the word network throughout the entire thing. And maybe, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but that's what they would call it today in media ecology is the network and the idea of these nodes in the network. And yeah. each node is connected to many other nodes. And one of the key things I believe is necessary for groups to connect is for there to have be a recognized leader within each group. And uh, this doesn't yeah. mean that this person is bowed to or anything like that, um, right. but that this person is clearly the go-to for the group. They're who the right. group follows. And then those individuals, when they meet, other leaders, that's how your, your network really starts to manifest itself as uh, 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 an exponentially powerful thing compared yes. to the number of people that are actually involved in it. You're way bigger than you think you are. And so if you haven't yet heard about Us the Chill, the Mad Christian Discord, which has got to be one of the biggest networks of this kind in existence today, you got to join it. It's free. Get the Discord app. Search for Us the Chill. There's a brief history of power channel there. You'll end up, you, you come into Welcome to the Madness, which, I, I mean, you're leaving the madness is what you're doing. Um, but you come into Welcome to the Madness, uh, ask around, ask what to do, check the pins. It's a little like Facebook. It's a little bit different. But what it is, is a real-time nodal network of Pendragons all over this country, people who have groups connected to them, and they're working together on many of the same ideas Kuntz and I are talking about. Uh, that's why we have a channel there where people are listening to it. And so... I'm not saying join this network and not another. The point is network, <laughs> network, get connected to the nodes that are other places that are doing what you're doing any way you can. The Mad Christian Discord is my attempt to do this with those who listen to me, right? I want you all to connect with everybody else, not just me. Don't just listen to me, connect, right? And that's what this is there for. So I think uh, start another one, sure, but don't miss out where it is. And see your church body then, we can back off on it to this. The LCMS remains a network. It remains right. a network and it remains a f sometimes functioning on certain levels and issues network, depending on you know what your concerns are. Pastor, balanced budget, I believe. Right, exactly. And that's why, I mean, it's not, it's not so much anti-institutionalism that we're promoting as the orienting of institutions, both old and new, 
toward the good of the human beings who are actually served by those and serve those institutions. And the problem the institutions generally have is their own use of human beings rather than their provision for them. So the institution is measured by how well it actually carries out the service, right? So in the case of a church, it's the service of the gospel to fallen mankind, right? So the, the or work of media ecology by Harold Innes, who predates Marshall McLuhan, gave him all his good ideas and was, I think, a much richer thinker. So what was his name again? Harold Innes, I-N-N-I-S. I've heard his name. Yeah. 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 He wrote Empire and Communications. And what he understood was that I can't hold things together without communication. And I need that. And that's the case in a, a marriage, a family. That's the case in a congregation. That's the case in a church body. That's the case in a nation. So if I'm spreading the empire of Christ, then I need to be in contact with the other ambassadors and soldiers of the empire of Christ. And that's something that I think cannot be merely reduced to letter writing, talking online, the things that historically have occupied it. You do need to meet and you need to be together. And those leaders need to be together in order for the best and most good, I think, to be achieved. And you see that in the New Testament too. That's why they're always traveling. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, the the communication that if we're going to get just specifically with the church here, everyone's got to deal with the communication issue of Babel and information that we've been dealing yeah. with. Um, what is important and imperative even, uh, my third book is about this, is that the communication that takes place in your local church is primarily a communion instituted by a king. And that that is a communication of his attributes to you as a body whole. And that is a local reality to be stood upon as the greatest network there ever was and to trust in its certainty uh, beyond all can. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we're out of time in terms of like we're over the hour. Um, I've said everything. I'm like, I'm not planning to say much. And I've been, I think I've said lots that people can get angry at without <laughs> saying more. Um, have, we, have we failed anything? We're going to go on to, or fail to bring up anything. We're going to go on to some higher education after this. If yeah. you want to talk, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to go to higher education because I, it's, it is specifically about those leaders that we've been discussing in the past, let's say, 15 minutes of this episode, because higher education was originally intended for really the, the elites, natural, genetic, whatever you, however, an elite is constituted, aristocratic elites of a group to be educated. That's what higher education was for. It's why such a small percentage of people in any place where there were colleges and universities went to a college or university. That's fine. So the question that we're going to be posing, among others, the chief one that we'll be posing is what actually do we think that those are supposed to produce? There's always something like it, some kind of extra finishing, extra struggle, extra course, or it's an entire institution in the case of a college or university for the people leading the group. Well, what are those people supposed to be like? Whom should they know? What should they know? And so that's what we'll be talking about. I'll be talking, obviously, with a specific focus on the United States, but we'll have to refer first back to Great Britain as the source of the liberal arts college, the way that it appears in the United States or early America. And then also Germany as the source of the research university or the state university, which is really the model for the vast majority, especially of American public higher education. Man, I, it, it is all Britannia. 
It is all Britannia collapsing <laughs> around us. It is the throne of Charlemagne, and it is the very end. So get ready for that new king to come. It's a brief history of power with two white guys. You know where to find us, or you would not be here.